Hello and welcome to Outdoor Lives, podcast by Mike Rain. That's Mike Rain of .co.uk, further training for outdoor leaders. You're listening to this podcast uh, initially from Spotify, but you may well be on one of the other providers. And I just wanted to say before we start the podcast, some of the other things that micrain.co.uk can do for you. So please visit the website, micrain.co.uk. There you will see a tab saying shop. And from there you will be able to purchase one of Mike's books, The Mountain Leader, A Practical Manual, Nature of Snowdonia, A Guide to the Uplands for Hillwalkers and Climbers. They're both Mike's books and they're aimed at pretty fairly and squarely people who are leading others in the outdoors be they instructors guides or leaders could be lowland hill and moorland or upland uh, so yeah we've also got kath wills's outdoor first aid book for sale too uh, the other big tab to look at is the workshops a whole range of workshops throughout the year uh, principally off-season, most of them are good CPD workshops for MTA, AMI, BAMEL, and there's all sorts of things on there. Obviously, the nature ones come to four, nature Snowdonia, but we do specialist ones on birds, on lichens, on arctic alpines. There are also ones to help you be a better mountain leader in terms of managing hazards, confidence with contours, how to teach navigation, leadership workshops, all sorts of things on there. the other hand, we've got first aid courses, so you can come on very special first aid courses. There's another podcast where it explains my the philosophy of the first aid courses I run, uh, and they're all running Snowdonia. And the final thing to mention there is there are another tab where we have tailor-made workshops. So if you would like uh, Mike to come and do a workshop for you or your staff, then give him a call drop him a line, and we can do pretty much anything you want. There's a blog on there. Other free resources are well worth looking at the Facebook page, Notes from the Hill. Well worth looking at the Instagram posts. But what I would mostly recommend is is having a look at the um, Patreon page. The Patreon page is the big new development constantly being updated with new information information about nature information about you know just being in the outdoors it's 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 great there's loads of stuff on there e-learning modules that's where these podcasts go there ad free as soon as they're recorded rather than having to wait for them um so much stuff on the patreon page have a look at it patreon.com forward slash mycrane And thanks for listening to this podcast. I hope you'll come and meet me sometime. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Outdoor Lives. My name's Mike Rain and my guests on this episode are Fiona and Rob Nicholson. They're former head teachers who are now running a hotel in Chlamberis, Gwesti, Plas Koch. They've been here since 2019 and anybody can work out the dates and relate those to COVID, we'll know that that's been quite an interesting time to purchase a hotel. So we'll probably chat about that during the conversation. But their vision and moving here was to develop Plas Koch as part of the outdoor community 
whilst they worked hard to become part of the village community. The knowledge of the Arari mountains and lakes have helped them to establish themselves and drive their recent endeavours to become the first, the first gold level business under the plastic free Arquidva scheme. So we're definitely going to talk about that. Um, but let me welcome you to the podcast. Um, got two voices today. I think you'll be able to work out. Rob, how are you today, Rob? I'm very well, thank you. And Fiona? Yeah, I'm very good, thank you. So can you first of all <coughs> tell us about Plascork? And I want to jump straight into this plastic free thing. So talk about why did you buy Plascork? What are you doing here? And what do you mean plastic free? I'm looking around the room here as they're talking, trying to find some plastic. Mm, yeah. um, <laughs> I won't say much because they've cooked some wonderful Welsh cakes. <laughs> Um, well, I, why we bought Plascot, we we are we had been coming to. I think it's a similar story to a lot of people. We'd been coming to um, Oderi, Snowdonia, as we called it at the time, a lot for holidays. Started exploring the area. I think it was my eldest son who brought me here in the first place because he wanted me to go to Peak Seats mm. and then wanted to take me up to Trafalgar because he used to come here as a scout. Amazing. And then I think since then I started coming back pretty much every um, every six weeks, fairly religiously, because having been head teachers before that sort of tends to be when you have a little bit of free time mm. um, and then Fiona started coming up as well um, we did we did what was what now is a, sounds a bit toxic but at the time it wasn't too bad we bought a little tiny holiday cottage in Penaco um, which then meant we could spend longer yeah. times here yeah, it was a perfectly normal thing to do it was it? a perfect yeah. yeah it's yeah, it's, um, it's now hastened to where it's now let out long term to a, a guy from the village who was uh, in danger of being homeless so yeah. at least it's gone to a slightly ethical purpose now it's good um, yeah but I think we used to fight I was certainly finding as I was driving back down to uh, back down to the M25 mm. on a Sunday afternoon that I was uh, not going home but leaving home yeah. as I was doing that and um, so after a while, um, Fiona's tended to always sit in cafes and look on her phone and look at the pro- cost of properties and businesses and whatever in the air. And then one yeah. day I just did, we were sat in a cafe in Bettison, I just said, okay, well, let's, let's go and look at one this, shall we? And um, we started looking at a few. Actually, this was the first one that we looked at, but because we, I think we identified with the couple who had been running the place before mm-hmm. us, who similarly had had no experience of running a Guesti prior to taking this on that we thought well if they can do it so can we it's a hell of a move though isn't it i mean the head teacher comes with a lot of different skill sets but hotelier cooking breakfast i would say that making beds lots of our guests are very interested in our past previous lives sort of thing and they say to us oh did you have experience then of running a guest house as well and we say uh no um but what we do say is a lot of transferable skills um very much so obviously you're in the public all the time dealing with individuals face to face um and also very busy very different but very very busy and managing a lot um at the same time 90 percent of being a head teacher is being confident happy <laughs> and in charge even when the kitchen's on fire you know so it's um, <laughs> yeah so actually that most of that transfers over really you know i think we both we'd all take a hats off to any teachers listening because we've been there uh, and I always say teachers don't quite fully understand <coughs> what a skill set they've developed as mm. teachers. The ability to operate at different speeds at the same time is, is quite remarkable, isn't it? Mm. So whatever you do after teaching, it's got to be easier, <laughs> is it? <laughs> I, I would add an interesting thing that we didn't do previously was work together. Um, ah, we yeah, that's a teachers new dynamic. In yeah. Um, you were both in counties. charge. Um, yes, and then people say, oh, goodness me, how do you go on working together? But 
But again, we're both very, very busy. We both have our exact roles that we are responsible for, right. and, yeah. and we do those. So actually, during the day, we don't cross paths. <laughs> we only really get tetchy if we start trying to do each other's jobs. It's kind of like, what are you doing? That <laughs> so um, that's fabulous. But yeah, but we did. We yeah, we were quite interested to see what it would be like to try and run a business together. Yeah. So that was yeah. that was another reason to to try and make that. But you still have your own space because of the way you work. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And our own interests. Um, yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah, and and different aspects of our vision and mission, uh, which we. Uh, which we kind of try to take responsibility and lead on, really. Yeah. Onto so. that, actually. But I want to talk about the plastic-free thing because I do occasionally stay in hotels, and I'm increasingly annoyed by cartons of UHT milk and small cartons of marmalade. But I am told that's essential for for health and safety. And if you don't give somebody a small carton of marmalade, then they're just going to waste a lot of marmalade. How do you manage that? How does it work? So it's very interesting what you say about um, the UHT milks because I think that was one of the very first things we did. Um, we realised how much single-use plastic we were using and we were throwing away and was going in the bin yeah. um, when we were emptying all the room, guest rooms um, bins, for example. And actually one day we just sort of thought, do you know what? We've got a fridge in the breakfast room. Why don't we just put a bottle of milk in the fridge, yeah. little porcelain jugs next to the fridge, and we say to the guests, look, we're not, we haven't got UHT in the bedrooms, but if you wouldn't mind, could you help yourself to the fresh milk in a little jug and take that up to your rooms? And whereas I thought when we said that, they'd say, oh, you know, how annoying. They were like, oh, that's so much better. We'd much rather have fresh milk. Yeah, me too. Um, and of course, there is, isn't a health and safety in the sense that the fridge is there. We obviously do all yeah. our checks every day with the temperatures and the porcelain jugs are there. Um, you have to, to a certain degree, you have to trust people to be sensible and that they're not going to do something silly to the milk yeah. while they're in between times. But, you know, but you don't get too much waste. They don't take more than they need. No, 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 no not at all. Yeah. Um, and regarding the marmalades and things, um, what we do is, well, th that's an interesting thing as well because rather than say we want, to, we want to provide homemade jams and marmalades, we provide fresh fruit and what we didn't want to do is waste fruit. So for example, you make a lot of fresh fruit in the yeah. morning for breakfast and not many people want it that day, yeah. their choice. Um, so rather than throw away the fruit, we decided, hang on a minute, why don't we make jam um, with the leftover fruit? So that's oh, where really? the jam started. Um, so we do homemade jams and marmalades, which we serve in a glass jar. So fresh teaspoons, people help themselves to little, a little pot, pot put it on the table pot, yeah. um, and the, the jar goes back yeah, yeah. people just take what they want so you don't get waste with that either and similar to that we did used to have plastic wrap biscuits in the bedrooms for guests as you do you would have known that if you go to a I hotel look for example to the, you can tell the place by the quality <laughs> of the biscuits in the room but again think about the plastic that's being thrown away single Shocking. use yeah. so now we I bake fresh Welsh cakes and Barabrith um, about three or four times a week and guests will always have that um, when they come to Plascop, and that's instead of it. So when Rob explains, oh, sorry, we haven't got biscuits in the bedrooms, we've, you've got fresh Welsh cakes instead. Not I, many I can complain. vouch for the Welsh cakes, they're, they're fantastic. So I, so I suppose really what we found is every, every time we eradicated a bit of plastic from yeah. the system, we improved the quality of what we were doing. Obviously creating more work for ourselves, yeah. because yeah. There, there is more work involved in, in making homemade jams and marmalade yeah. And, yeah. and cakes and such like, but yeah, I think... Say, boy, we can see how to make them, but we seem to enjoy that process of yeah. doing that stuff. And each time, we've improved the quality of what of what we provide for our guests. So, you, and the, the milk thing you can choose from oat milk, almond milk, soy milk, cow milk, any sort. Of, you know. <laughs> so you, 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 we've each time we've we've yeah. upped the quality yeah. of what it is that we Absolutely. provide for people. 
So what makes you, you know, I understand changing the marmalade and the milk there. That's relatively easy. I'm not saying it's easy because I know, I know there are issues with it. But what makes you gold standard? I think the key thing there for me on that was uh, to, to establish myself in the community. The first easy thing that I did was join the Pension of Tackless group. So I go out on the Sunday morning litter pick. That's the litter pick group. Yeah. Whenever I yeah. can do that. Um, and then a little further on down the line, that, that turned into uh, joining the Carrier Area Scheme and also Plascov. Um, we have a litter-free zone, so we have a very pretty little lane. My favourite bit of the village where I go jogging most days is now our litter-free zone, so periodically I go up there and clear that of litter really? as well. But that, so that made, made you, makes you painfully aware of just how much plastic ends up in the environment yeah. around here. So I suppose... Uh, from my point of view, the bit about moving us to gold standard was thinking, what is the impact that our guests potentially will be having on the environment through their use of plastic? So we, it's, it's relatively straightforward for us to try and remove as much plastic from our catering systems as humanly yeah. possible. Had we then tried to prevent guests from purchasing too many water bottles, taking them out, dropping them, dropping banana skins around the place as well. Mm -hmm. So our thinking process was then about... How do we try and change our guests' behaviour? So whilst it's not this class cork isn't enormous, yeah. but if we can try and improve the behaviour of our guests yeah. um, in the local uh, natural environment, yeah. then then we can start to have more radical impact. You, you're nudging them there to yeah. do things a little yeah. better. And what I would maybe they'll yeah. take those habits away. Yeah, exactly. absolutely, yeah. very yeah. much. If you just 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 their thought processes of what we're doing yeah. drops a little idea in their head. And what I would do there, um, add there is we um, decided there was a demand for pat lunches, so we decided to provide our own pat lunches yeah. at a small cost to guests, and that's somewhere where exactly what Rob said we felt we could make a difference to them as they go out on their adventure up here with Furl or wherever in the mountains in the national park they were heading that day we can be confident that they're going out without any plastic so when we hear about the mountains of plastic bottles on here with Furl we, we know that actually our guests won't be contributing to that today because what we provide so for example we make fresh sandwiches which we wrap in a paper bag mm. paper sandwich bag or we do homemade flapjacks um we do water bottles in our own metal water bottles we do tea and coffee in metal flasks right. um and we've just sourced some crisps in plastic free bags so we're very proud of that so and also um rob's done a sign saying bring everything back to plascot when you mm. finish your lunch because it will all be recycled or composted, which it is. And all that works with your health, your hygiene concerns. It's okay to put something in a plastic yeah. bag and that sort well, of thing. A paper bag. Yeah, yeah paper, paper bag. Yeah. Yeah. Not a plastic <laughs> bag, yeah. Because everything we buy in the supermarket down the road here comes wrapped in plastic. Well, that's it? partly why, why we want to do that. Because I said earlier, we, we don't want to compete with... Well, we want to be part of an ecosystem of, of businesses in the village. So we, we like to send our guests out to go to the local restaurants, cafes, yeah. pubs. We don't want to compete, tread on their toes. We want, people, we yeah. want our guests to be contributing to the economy all round, yeah. really. So if we were going to do lunch, we needed to do it in a different way. So our lunches are more expensive than it would yeah. be to pop to the local supermarket and get a meal yeah. deal. But what we can do is we can do a plastic-free pat lunch yeah. because we've got that control on it it's we we know how what we're making it's been pre-ordered we can put it out there with the name of the person who's ordered it on there so you've got all that hygiene stuff yeah. that's been sorted that way 
I know people sitting listening to this going, that's all well and good, but that's got to be paid for. This is a business. You've got to make ends meet. You've got to make a profit. And you're spending more on this plastic-free business. Yeah, so How does it affect me as a guest in well, my yeah. pocket? Well, a, pa- a plastic-free pack lunch is a lot more than a meal deal at the um, supermarket around the corner. Mm-hmm. But and it always will be. It always it? will yeah. be. And, um, we have and a choice. That's what we but but it, yeah. We, yeah. we sell enough of those to make it a worthwhile yeah venture to do and so does it turn into a positive feedback loop that the business is doing better because you're doing things in a more ethical way yeah yeah i would say definitely people people like what we're trying to do and the difference we're trying to make and the fact that we're working with the um national park in trying to support their strategies to become more plastic free as well that's really interesting. So anyway, hey, we, listen, we're going to take a little break there because I've got a plate full of uh, Welsh cakes here to eat. So we'll be back in a I am so impressed with Plas Koch. It's an elegant Victorian house on the high street in Llanberis, right at the heart of the outdoor community. They do a fantastic breakfast. The hotel is in really good condition. Rob and Fiona are wonderful hosts, really welcoming. Throughout the podcast, you'll be hearing what they're doing for the local community, what they're doing for the local environment. They've even got a wildlife garden, which we didn't get a chance to talk about in the podcast. So they bring all their experience, knowledge, intelligence to this wonderful, wonderful guest house. Um, I just really don't live that far away um but <laughs> i just love to stay um the whole plastic free thing is really appealing to me having stayed in several hotels where yeah it's pretty poor the amount of single use practice practice they do and um, as ever with these hotels <coughs> it's probably best to book direct um i know you don't all like using the phone but um their availability is on the website, plaskochsnowdonia.co.uk. Uh, the telephone number's there. Ring them up. They won't bite you, and they may well be able to offer you uh, help and guidance on whatever it is you're doing. They are keen to help. You can email them if, if you don't, you know, if you're a bit worried about that. Um, but it's a lovely place to stay, homemade cakes, there's a fire pit outside if you're there and it's appropriate weather. They've got loads of maps, loads of books, they've got a cycle store too, a locking shed for putting that. They've got a drying room. Um, yeah, uh, have a look at Plaskoch. More hotels, more accommodation places should be like this. Uh, welcome back, folks. I'm with Rob and Fiona from Plas Koch in Llanberis. I think I said in the introduction they moved here in 2019. Both head teachers living in the southeast of England. It's quite a big move, Rob and Fiona. What was it like moving to a small, well-speaking village in Gwynedd? I'm not quite. I'm not sure. I actually realised just how Welsh speaking Clanberry's was before we moved here. Actually, mm-hmm. and, and whilst there was never a moment of thinking, "Oh my God," it was um, it was quite interesting to realise that, that that the only language you heard, you would hear being spoken once the tourists had gone home was was Welsh. So that that was a that was a bit of an eye opener. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I having shown absolutely zero proficiency or natural skill in learning languages throughout my entire life, I did decide I was going to 
give it my best stab of, of learning to speak the language anyway. So, um, how, how did you do that, Rob? Because I know myself, it's not easy. It's not easy, and I suppose that the uh, the two things I just discovered on that of using various different apps and things on your phone and and different programs and and face to face Welsh classes with a, an absolutely wonderful inspirational teacher called Paul Huckstep from uh, Penmacno, who's a Welsh learner himself, but actually oh, runs wow. the Welsh classes down there. Um, is is that you 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 never a lot of these apps a lot of these courses will say do this course and you'll be a proficient fluent Welsh speaker mm. which of course is a load of nonsense. Mm. Um, what they fail to say is is that actually you once you start you just have to commit to always being a Welsh learner. So my, hopefully I will be a Welsh learner until the day <laughs> I die. And a lot of Welsh speakers will also say the same thing that they're still trying yeah. that they're always trying to learn Welsh. Yeah. Um, so it does require a, a bit of a commitment to do something every single day yeah. and without fail. That's kind of like the, the rule that I've, I've worked to really you on that. to that Yeah, but then I did find fairly quickly that the quite reassuring thing is, is particularly around here, people will flip between English and Welsh continually within the same sentence, they'll stick in English words. So when I realised that, there was a bit of a revelation in realising that if I could do half a sentence in English and half of it in Welsh, but that would still be perfectly That's acceptable. perfectly normal here. Perfectly normal, it? perfectly yeah. acceptable, yeah. and yeah. people value the fact that you've that, 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 I, that, that I've decided to do that. Yeah. And I think that's something that's changed. I know when I lived here in the 80s, Welsh was a bit of a secret language, and, and people weren't as open with it as they are now. Mm. Um, you know, to the point where we weren't particularly encouraged to even say thank you in Welsh. Whereas now, I think there's been a much more confidence in the language, mm. and people mm. are really passionate about saving mm. it. Mm. So how can, and a lot of the people listening to this will be mountain leaders, mountaineering instructors, how can they do better at Welsh? It's place names, isn't it? It's being, it's, it's, and I've struggled with this a lot. And uh, my, mm-hmm. my, my best friend, Steve, who, um, who was one of the reasons we moved here, really, because he's a, he's a Welsh lad from Blanafestinio, now lives in Clarice, and um, uh, he was a big factor in me deciding to move up here because I, my best friend was already a Welsh speaker from, from the area. Um, uh, I th- what I do a lot with him is I check out, I try to pronounce places and he'll co- often correct me and that's still happening it was mm. happening with me in the Carnetho just the other day and um, I think I think if the man, more the outdoor community can try and use the correct names for places, try and pronounce things yeah. better, it's doing the best out us. I think you taught me that years ago. Actually, the course, actually. You were, I, I, you, I, you I were totally appalled at how I pronounced Betis at the time. I yeah. yeah. Well, we still get so many different guests for how they pronounce it. It's, fab, it's fabulous yeah. to hear. And, and, and it isn't easy, but there are some simple rules, aren't there? Like um, the, the, the alphabet's phonetic, isn't it? Mm. Uh, mm. Are there any of the rules that people could do? Um, it's one about the adjective and the noun, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. So um, it's sort of it's it's flipped round here. So the the, the noun will come first, and the uh, the adjective comes mm. comes afterwards. So T Maur is quite a good example. T oh, being house yeah. Maur is large. So it's remembering remembering that the adjective comes second. Yeah. And I suppose the other thing I sort of picked up from from Welsh classes really is that these mutations and the way that words blend one into another quite naturally in, in Welsh is that I think in English we tend to still sort of concentrate on what in teacher terms you call the onset, the little sort of oh, yeah. group of letters at the beginning of a word. Right. In Welsh, you kind of have to kind of forget those because they keep changing. You have to, have to concentrate on the bit towards the, the last bit of the word. So if it rhymes with some, a word that's familiar, it's probably the word that you were thinking of. Okay. Is, it, is there anywhere people can go? Do you recommend the Alps? You know, if mountain leaders are trying to learn how to say place names and mountain names and 
the names of the sins. Is there anywhere they can go to get help in that? I haven't seen anything online in particularly. There's there's a, in Scotland, there's a, a gap in the market perhaps for that. There's a website called Walk Highlands in Scotland, and if you click on a button on Walk Highlands, it tells you how to say the name in Gaelic. The closest thing to that. To read. Sorry, the closest thing to that that has helped me is um, when we did our um, ambassador area ambassador oh, course, yeah, scheme. Yeah. Um, there was all these different components, and a lot of them involved little videos that you had to watch, yeah. and that taught you how yeah. the names and how to say them. Yeah. And expanded our knowledge, well, my personal knowledge, massively about the national yeah. park. And actually, I suppose the other sort of key tip on that is um, so some Welsh place names are very long, but actually the phonetic system works. It's a little bit different to English, but it works very yeah. consistently. It doesn't get yeah. changed very much. So uh, Paul, my uh, Welsh speaker, would always say, my Welsh teacher would always say, uh, we'll just break it down, break it down syllable by syllable, and then put it back together again. And yeah, normally you can make a fairly good, yeah, fairly good go at it. I think Penrindredrith was the one. I always remember looking at the oh, signpost of Penrindredrith thinking, I will never be able to pronounce the name yeah. of that place, but you just break it down. Yeah, yeah. Even Ererik, I, I struggle with that. Yeah. It's not an easy name for... Certainly in Yorkshire, we don't have any R's, so it's really <laughs> hard to say words with R's in. Um, but we worked out the first part of Ererik is error. As in the English error. Yes. So if you say error, you're getting closer to how somebody would say it. But oh, it's not helpful. easy to say. Yeah. Well, the double L is quite hard to say. And we often sort of say to people, just trying to get the double L for Clamberis and Clinpadan, often say, you're probably a little bit closer to it if you say CL rather than L. You're actually getting a little bit closer if you can't actually manage the. So saying Clamberis yeah. is actually a little bit closer than saying I Lamberis. say start with the K yeah. and then drop the K. Mm. So, Clamberis, Clamberis. Mm-hmm. That, that seems to work. Yeah. Hey, we're not here to give a Welsh <laughs> lesson, but uh, it is fascinating. I think it's really important to listeners that they are aware that, uh, it's yeah, you should have a go, shouldn't you? You should try. You should. It makes it made a huge difference for us settling into the yeah. village. Um, so you've, you've joined in with things in the village. You mentioned the, the litter group earlier. Was it the choir and the crochet yeah, group? Yeah. You know, yeah. how does all that work? You, know, you just turn up at a room full of... People speaking Welsh and say, can I join in, please? What I would just add as well is, um, you mentioned how we moved here in 2019. Of course, COVID struck in March 2020. And we had to discuss with all businesses that, you know, we all agreed that we were having to close at that time. So there there were months in Clamberis where no tourists, no visitors came. It was just the people that lived here. And I see that now as a real positive, because though obviously it was hard for us with a new business... Um, it enabled us to establish ourselves in the Clamberis community yeah. um, and enabled us to, to cr- make friends and to get to know the locals. Um, one of our projects at Plascock was um, the garden. So both of us were out there an awful lot and people walk past and say hello and everything like that. And I, th- I would say we made a lot of friends um, through that time. Oh, that's lovely, so, isn't yeah. it? I can imagine you out in the garden and people saying, hello, who are you and where are you from and all that. And that yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. People in Fabrice love it if you're, do, if you're doing something practical as yeah. well. So I often say to people, a fairly common scenario is for me to be up a ladder doing oh, something yeah. at Plascock with a group of Welshmen at the bottom of it telling me I'm doing it all wrong. And that's a scenario that seems to happen quite a lot. They and do also, know their slate in Clamberis. They, they know their repairs. Oh, he's going to do a lot. Oh, what are you doing that for? They set up a scheme locally um, where we could support people who, could, who couldn't go out during COVID. Yeah. 
And um, I volunteered for that. And there was a lady that just wanted the newspaper delivered every morning. So that's what I did. So I had to walk down to the end of the high street sort of thing and into the estate. And yeah. I, I made friends with people I passed every single morning doing that. So. Oh, that's brilliant. That. So co- rather than COVID being a disaster for a new business, you turned it into a positive. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, uh, we obviously had to get a bit of income. But um, yeah. I, I made some online education materials for a teaching school down in England because yeah. um, early education was my specialist area. And yeah. um eventually sort of fell into into doing some um, social care work with people with learning difficulties which I still do now because it's a you, yeah. you do need a little bit of income over the winter months so um, so I yeah. still keep my hand in with that as well. Tell us about the litter group. Ah yeah so Pinch of Tatlas um, the key drivers for that local people um, Pat Pitts and uh, Eric Bayliss um, and, and a team of volunteers. I don't get a huge amount of time to necessarily join in because the days when they go out and do their litter picking is normally it's a Sunday morning which is a pretty busy working day for us yeah. here but uh, uh, get out when I can but see it's, it's a it's a it's a it's a busy group that works hard to keep the village tidy they, they we can get some frustrations I think with the amount of rubbish that's around sometimes um, it's and it's a community group, isn't it? It's, it's community, just volunteers yeah, just from just the Just volunteers village. from the community, and yeah. we do have to remind each other from time to time that, that we're doing it because we're enjoying it rather than out of yeah. a sense of martyrdom. Yeah. Uh, what I find out of, out of doing it is it, you, you, particularly if you pick up a, f- a familiar route, you get to know that area quite intimately. So for a while I was doing some posts on social oh, media yeah. about how the seasons were changing, nice. Cleggear Lane and what I could spot in the grass verges and the hedgerows along there as yeah. I was... You're pulling out a plastic bottle and spotting wildflowers or yeah. birds oh, and mushrooms and things. Yeah, so um, so yeah, there's a lot yeah. of positives to be yeah. to be gained out of that. But there can be times when it can feel overwhelming. Yep. Um, particularly if we've had a busy weekend here, and um, I suppose that that's led into other stuff that I've been doing in the village to then yeah. to get into more communication with the local authority about what the needs of Flamberis are in terms of the infrastructure. So the other thing you've got involved in is this you, Robert, or both of you, is the um, the Clambertus Development Group. Yeah. I'm going to let you say the Welsh name because I'm looking at it (laughs) and I've got to try and read it in my head. Dat Blagi? Yeah, Blagi. Group Dat Blagi, so group Dat Blagi means development. Yeah. Group Dat Blagi Clambertus. So... As is the case with village life, I was told that I was the secretary and treasurer of that for Q and the fish and chip shop. <laughs> so, Brilliant. And then, um, uh, and then I work very closely with uh, with Emlyn, um, Emlyn Bayliss, who's, I suppose, one of the village elders. Really, I suppose would be the yeah. way of describing him. But a man who's who's completely devoted to to the village, um, to the economic well-being of the village, and the, and the group has 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 broad aims to support. Uh, the residents, the community, the businesses, the visitors into the area to yeah. think about the environment, yeah. think about the businesses and the high street and such like. And it, it's that's it's been fantastic. I mean, it's been fantastic as a Welsh learner as well because um, I get to go to quite a lot of meetings and conferences. I spent most of it yesterday actually in meetings and conferences, and actually in those I can my Welsh is not bad because oh, the context yeah. the context is context is everything if you're trying to speak Welsh. So if you kind of like know what everyone's going to be yes. talking about before you even start. And people tend to be a bit more formal and take turns in conversations, unlike being at the pub. So meetings <laughs> yeah. are very, very, a very uh, valuable learning so opportunity. So you recommend me- going to meetings? <laughs> yeah, try and get into something where you get to go to a few conferences and meetings with Excellent. the local authority. Uh, yeah, it does give us a chance to, yeah. to try and do some good 
for the village and have some I communication. I just want to pick on that of... development a bit more, Rob, because yeah. it is a fascinating village. You can study this village as a sociologist, as a geographer. The fact that it was a slate, so there's a, an industrial yep. remnant population here. It's also a, a sort of commuter village for people, isn't it? People live here to work yes. in Bangor and Canaan. Yeah, a lot of hospital workers. There's the outdoor community yeah. and, and there's a more general tourism. How, how does all that play out in the development group? Is it, uh, and you've also got industry here as well because you've got the DMM factory and the Siemens yes. factory. So you do, you still have... You still yes. have some remnants of, of yeah. industry. I mean, in DMM, it's proper engineering mm. jobs. They're making things out of metal yeah, here yeah. in Canberra. It's yeah. yeah. wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So, and how does that work out in the, in the, in the development, development group? Yeah, what are you developing? More industry, more tourism? <laughs> I suppose <laughs> a the, bit of everything. Well, that, it's, it's fairly small scale stuff at the moment. I know yeah. we recognise that what the village is going to need at some point to, to try and get us onto a similar footing to some of the exciting stuff that's going on over in Bethesda with Partneriath Ogwin. Yeah. And over in Blanafistiniog, uh, where we had a meeting yesterday with Brofastiniog over there. Oh, yeah. There's, there's exciting stuff going on, but you do at some point we need to have a structure. So we've, we've, done, we've had feasibility studies commissioned. Yeah. We get grants to do that. And it always comes back to the same issue of, yeah, this would be a lovely place to have a farmer's market. Yeah. Fantastic idea. Yeah. But you need some sort of legally incorporated yeah. um, enterprise somewhere if you're going to be able to manage that. You can't just do that on the back yeah. of, of a few volunteers. Volunteer, no. So that there's, a big, there's a big hurdle for us to jump over there. And it, I suppose it's one of the things about life around here, which, which I think is fantastic, but does also worry me, is how much really important stuff falls on the shoulders of volunteers. Yeah. I don't, I'm quite happy with the local government approach, which is really to say that regeneration has to be driven from the grassroots by the people who live in the yeah. village. But that does yeah. then mean you've got to then try and find people with enough yeah. capacity and drive to try and pick up some of those ideas and move them forward. I guess that's similar in a lot of places, but San Beres is quite a public place, isn't it? You know, it's a place that's very close to the hearts of certainly the outdoor people. Mm -hmm. yeah. Everybody listening to this will have spent some time in San Beres. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very special the place. The development group, the work that we try to do, we try to make sure it is fairly equally balanced between projects which will benefit residents, projects yeah. that might benefit yeah. businesses. So thinking about, we've got some worries about the odd empty building in the on the village high street yeah. at the moment um but also the residents so residents visitors businesses trying to make sure that all of them are supported in in equal measure and ideally that we can provide services that bring all those three groups together really. it's a fascinating challenge because i've often said if it was it should be a bit more like keswick mm. but if it was a bit more like keswick wouldn't be able to afford to live here so, you know, there's a balance to be had between super development bringing in cash, as in Keswick, or a place where people live and the Welsh language is secure, mm. but still providing for those visitors that are coming here. Because there's a heck of a lot of visitors coming to there the There are visitors, and the yeah. visitors can sometimes be perceived as being a threat. Mm. But I suppose what we find from running this place is that people, people like ourselves, didn't necessarily realise that they were coming to a village where everyone in the local pubs and shops yeah. is speaking Welsh, yeah. but they think that's fantastic. So it's actually Well, it should be an attraction, it's shouldn't it? That's why we give them the right. Welsh experience yes. like the Welsh Tanks of Barabith, because we want them to spend yes. their two-night weekend immersed yeah. in, the, in the Welsh yeah, culture the as look, much as possible. The look of terror on their faces when they pick up the menu and realise that we've got it written in Welsh on one side and English on the other, and they're, wow. whilst they're trying to work that out, it's quite funny. Yeah, it <laughs> should be an attraction, not a repel, repel, repelling. 
Um, one, one of the great things about moving here, obviously, and the reason to move here is is the mountains, the environment, mm. is getting out walking and, mm. and, and doing things. Uh, and I believe, Rob, you've incorporated that into your business, fueling perhaps more on a leisure side of things to get away from the business. But So how does that work? And you talked about um, being part of the outdoor community and, 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 and getting involved and qualified as a mountain leader. How's that panned out, Rob? Uh, well, I had the practical support of uh, Ross and Kate Worthington when we first moved. Who were very, who very kindly and very generously sort of reached out to us, and they had to. That's raw, raw adventures. Raw adventures. We talked to um, Dan Lane from Raw Adventures in a previous podcast. Yeah. Sorry, Rob. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, Kate, Kate and Ross sort of reached out to us when we first moved, and actually helped help us to give the confidence, thinking we could make Plascott part of the outdoor community, which is what we wanted to do. I was already part way through my mountain leaders. I'd already had, I said, I think about 2017, I got my Loden Leader Award, and then I was keen to try and do something else. When we started spending more time here, it became viable to start working on the Mountain Leader Award, which I then literally got with um, with Phil with a little bit of extra help because I couldn't get my head around the rope work so Phil was <laughs> very good on that he says not from failing but a bloody training until you can do it properly um, which is very good of him um, so it wouldn't we discovered it it's not a particularly practical model running Plathcock in the way that we want it to to do a load of breakfast and then for me to take everyone out on a mountain walk and leave Fiona with the um, washing up I don't think that would go down very well for, for too long uh, but what it has enabled us to do is the model of of, of a Guesty where one of the people running it has got the mountain leader qualifications and knows the mountains in the yeah. area yeah. pretty well. Yeah. That That's given us a, a real in into how we work with our guests, which is... I talked earlier about how we were trying to minimise the impact that they, the detrimental impact our guests might be making on the mountains by inadvertently taking plastics and things or leaving banana skins around when they're when they're in the mountains. But also, I can try and use my knowledge and skills in the area to try and, and make sure that people are going to get the most satisfying and safer day in the mountains, even if I'm not actually going to be with them. Really? So I, I really do enjoy that bit when they first arrive. Of very very typically saying, oh, we've driven all the way up here from the southeast of England, where most of our guests come from, and um, yeah, we're going to go up the Llanberis Path. Mm, okay, so, well, settle into your rooms. So come and have a chat. I'm a local mountain leader. I know the mountains quite well. We can have a chat about your route. And before too long, I've upgraded their yes. route into something different. <laughs> so if you've driven all the way here from the southeast of England, we could find a more interesting route for you to take. And invariably, they'll come back the next. We'll see them the next day at breakfast, and say, "Oh, so glad you told us to." Brilliant. Go up the Absolutely. pig track. I'm yes. so glad you did that. And uh, yeah. the funniest one is when you get people turn up with like an eight-year-old and say, oh, "Well, we're going up the Flamberis path because we've got a little child with us." Nice. Having been primary teachers as well, it was to say, "No, no, 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 no. <laughs> you want to do the pig track? You do the pig track. You'll have good fun. Your child will really feel like they've climbed a mountain. Yeah. You'll feel like you've climbed a mountain, and you'll have. If you go up the Flamberis, you're going to have three and a half hours of oh, we're nearly there yet. So you you really don't want to do that. So. Yeah. So that, that's very satisfying to be able to do that. And also yeah. to just make sure that people are, without hectoring or presenting them with a long list of things to take with them, but about making sure that they're relatively well equipped. That's what I was going to say. It's the health and safety thing that you yeah. add as well, ensuring yeah. that they have got the waterproof scopes. Yeah, and, and that Eritrea app has been, a, has been a game changer, I have yeah. to say. There's very few guests leave Plaskock without having downloaded the Eritrea app. The Snowden Paths app, Huber. Yeah, yes. yeah. It's slightly tricky to find on Play Store, I think, because it's Kluber 
yeah. with Fern. But if you if do you, look for it first. It's, yeah. it's very good and it gives you so much information. Yeah. All I mean, the cars, the routes, the weather, the buses. <laughs> the looks of terror that people would have when I used to hand them a sort of an OL17 map oh, and a compass. Yeah, yeah. But now you just say, oh, don't look on your phone. And you yeah. just say, oh, look, that little red dot there is me. And if I was on the path, I'd be like, oh, oh, fantastic. And it's so, a proper map, isn't it? It's, it's nice fantastic, map. yeah. yeah. And it's, I, because the, 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 the classic mistake that people will make is they'll probably find their way to the top quite, quite easily. Yeah. But we've yeah. all been there, haven't we? So to get to the top of something, turn around yeah. and think, hmm. Well <laughs> Which way did we come? And before you know it, you're in the wrong village with a fairly large taxi theft. Do you about. have to pick people up? Do you have to go and collect No, we have had, no, because we, we do intervene in that way, but we have <laughs> had the odd person come and knock at the door here and say, where am I? Because they oh, drove yeah. their cars in Beth Gellert or Ridley or something. And I think we do have a sense of responsibility in the sense that we want to make sure the guests come back at the end of the day, not just because they haven't paid their second night, but... <laughs> yeah, well, actually, there is quite an incentive. They don't pay until they check out, so we do have actually an incentive to try and make sure they're still alive. <laughs> but yeah. I think it's very, very rewarding, as Rob says, basically, that the, the, the impact as a mountain leader Rob can have yeah. on a, a couple or a family or group's experience yeah. um, if it would for a yeah. mountain and it's it, fantastic when you and see. You, you do have to go quite and there's, there's other guests who who sometimes just say, say look you've been coming here for years you really do need to do a different mountain so yeah. I managed to get someone into a, up onto a devour in the end I took them because I was just so keen so tired of trying to explain how to find their way that I stopped just yeah. let me do the washing up I'll take you um, but uh, sometimes people will just say and it's lovely because Ridthra is, is the gateway mountain for so many mm. people into, into mm. discovering mountains. It's a fantastic mountain. Um, it's busy, obviously, but it's, um, a lot of people will come here. And you, re- you do recognise that for them, climbing Ridthra is, is a really, really big deal. You know, but on that note, what I would say we are moving into now is the trying to facilitate it that, that Rob can do exactly that. He can yeah, do yeah. the ML and, and take groups out. So we've got a wonderful couple who've been coming for a couple of years with their cycling club and things and now they're coming back as a walking group yeah um bringing it but having the whole house booked out and and hiring rob as a mountain leader to take them out that sounds so. great is that something you like to do more of is that yeah. the direction yeah. for the business yes yes it, it, it is and um and uh, we're sort of testing out working with uh, with another mountain leader mia who we've worked together with on on a snowdonia society activities oh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. i do work as a volunteer mountain leader with snowdonia society so think probably working in pairs on that would probably be more, be more appropriate and be a bit more manageable That's so we're just, going to, we're just experimenting with that a bit at the moment we are coming towards the end of the time actually but i want to come back to plas cork because you talked about it being part of the the local ecosystem have you managed to achieve that do you feel you're contributing positively to the area one of the ways we've, we've done that is has been to try and reach out to uh, to the outdoor community we wanted to be part of the outdoor community ourselves so just mm. little things like a free breakfast for a mountain leader or a rock climbing instructor who's taking a group out from Plaskhawk, that works well. Oh, that's a very good selling point. <laughs> a very good selling point. It encourages them to suggest that people might want to come here. And actually, we love that buzz on a Saturday yeah. morning of the yeah. place being full busy. We're rushed off our feet, but actually people are paired up with John Gupta's in one corner, Tarkin Shipley's in another corner, right. and they're John talking. Redmond, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and John Redmond's like got the place booked out with a load of people who's he's got over from Ireland for us, and that that gives us a real buzz yeah. when yeah. the day is when the day is like that. That's so that's an important part of the yeah. of the ecosystem there. So I think it's about like Rob said, it's it's about working together with all the outdoor providers that we have in Clanberris and the surrounding areas, yeah. and now reaching further as you've mentioned, like John in Ireland as well, which is fantastic. But it's also about the local businesses in Clanberris and further afield as well and making sure, you know, everybody wants to support local, buy independent. But I think that's getting more and more important now. It is, yeah. Um, we're, we're always pleased when our guests 
shop independent, you know, and, yeah. and buy their outdoor gear when they're here, sort of thing, for example, which is fantastic. But also, we're trying to do that as well. So, we've um, now introduced um, local handmade soaps made in Beth Gellet by the soap mine, wonderful lady Vicky there. And we, all the soap in the bathrooms and the guest bedrooms are made locally in Bethgeddit in the National Park. And then we also have larger bars on the table people can buy. And that's proved really popular as well. Mm. And the fact that we are supporting local independent companies. That's brilliant. Um, and, uh, yeah, and also trying to make sure that they we're encouraging our guests to, to go and uh, try at the restaurant opposite, the pub opposite, go to Crib Goth, B12, Joe Brown shop as well, if they want to get their bits of okay. bits of gear whilst they're here as well. So uh, Yeah, we feel that if we support them, then hopefully they'll support us yeah. as well. Yeah, what goes around goes around, cumulative yes. causation. Hey, Rob and Fiona, we, we have um, we had to run a bit over time there. Is, is there anything else you want to just touch on before we, we close the podcast to you? I was, I know, there's probably lots more, isn't there, but... I think it's important to say how, how sort of grateful and thankful we are for people who have accepted us so much. We talked a lot about our move here and, yeah. and yeah. what we've done, but yeah. but we wouldn't still be here and be doing well and be happy if it wasn't for the, the, the locals who accepted us so well. Robin Fiona from Plas Koch, Llanberis, Diolchen Valio. Diolchen Valor. Mixing it all up together. <laughs> Thank you for listening, folks. That was a Outdoor Lives podcast brought to you by MyCrane.co.uk. You can listen to it ad-free on my Patreon channel at patreon.com forward slash MyCrane. And if you listen through Patreon, you also get the each episode as it's released. Thank you for listening. Bye now.